Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy. Both for millennials and Gen Z, and just frankly, employees in general, one of the biggest conflicts and crises that is emerging is the loneliness epidemic. Is people finding this disconnection, not just when they're a young person growing up or in, you know, in elementary school or high school or college, but in adulthood and started writing a little bit about my own experience with loneliness as someone who's, you know, a pretty extroverted person. <laughs> you know, my nickname is Smiley. I obviously love people. I'm very socially engaged. And I'm like, if I'm feeling lonely as Smiley, <laughs> as someone who meets people as a job, then other people probably are too. And you start to look at the data and you're like, oh, yes, I'm not alone, right? Nearly two-thirds of Americans are lonely. 70% of millennials, 80% of Gen Z. The average American hasn't made a new friend in the last five years. Many people have zero friends at work, zero. And we only spend 4% of our time with our friends. This is a problem. I'm Srini Rao, and this is the Unmistakable Creative Podcast, where you get a window into the stories and insights of the most innovative and creative minds who've started movements, built thriving businesses, written best-selling books, and created insanely interesting art. For more, check out our 500-episode archive at unmistakablecreative.com. Doing creative work can be kind of lonely, and that's why we built the Unmistakable Listener Tribe. The tribe is a community for professionals to connect and support each other. Everything is designed to help you grow your business and share what's working and what isn't. And that's true whether you're a business owner or an artist. You'll get access to feedback, live conversations with guests, and so much more. By joining the tribe, you become part of a community of creators who all support each other, and it's completely free. Hopefully, I'll see you there. Visit unmistakablecreative.com slash tribe to join. Again, that's unmistakablecreative.com slash tribe. Smiley, welcome to the Unmistakable Creative. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us. Thanks so much for having me. It's great to be here. Yeah, it is my pleasure to have you here. You're actually back here for a second time. And anytime we have somebody back for a second time, it's usually a testament to what a great guest they were the first time. So no pressure at all. <laughs> uh, uh, but given the subject matter of your book, uh, Friendship in the Age of Loneliness, I thought I would start with a question that I thought was highly re relevant, and that is, what social group were you a part of in high school, and what impact did that end up having on where you've ended up uh, in your life? Great question, um, and very personal to me. Um, I kind of felt like a little bit of an outsider in high school. I, I grew up in Cambridge, Massachusetts. I went to a pretty big urban public high school, 2,000 kids. Um, and definitely felt pretty left out. And it was actually, um, my cross country team, uh, and track team were actually kind of found the first, my first taste of kind of being part of something that, that belonging. Um, so I went out for, a you know, sports to, to, to play sports, uh, early freshman year. I was never going to play football. I'm a pretty, pretty small dude. Our soccer team was kind of like the best in the state. So I wasn't going to make the soccer team. So I went out for cross country, kind of not knowing what the hell it was. Um, and basically, for those that don't know, you just go run, you know, three miles, five miles, 10 miles on Sundays. That's all cross country is. So we're running a hill workout a couple weeks into practice, which is just running up and down the hill over and over again. And I'm kind of running up and down the hill, smiling, just like, yeah, this is great. You know, I grew up in, in Cambridge, uh, which is outside of Boston. So my coach is this kind of hard nosed Boston guy he used to be a runner himself. And he's like, what the hell are you doing smiling, kid? Stop smiling. Stop puking. 
stop puking, kid. Stop puking. And so uh, right after that, the team uh, nicknamed me Smiley. And that was yeah. that was kind of my nickname that uh, for the team and also in high school. And then that kind of nickname stuck through college and into my 20s and 30s. But it was really kind of the first time I felt like, oh, I can be a dork and kind of nerdy, but also cool, right? I also can have friends. I also have uh, a sense of purpose. Like I was one of the slowest kids on the team, but I actually became a captain my senior year. Um, I made the varsity team and kind of was the, the, the team morale. You know, I do like the pump up speeches before a meet being like, all right, we got this, you know, like, you know, that kind of like, uh, the, the team mascot, so to speak. Um, so that was actually really my home. That's kind of the group that I felt like I was part of in high school. Um, you know, cross country for the, you know, if, if you're running every day, it kind of keeps you, you you can't really go party. (laughs) You can't, you can't go, um, go smoke or go drink a lot because you have to go run or you have a, a race on the weekends. Um, so it actually was really a big part of what I, I think keeping me healthy yeah. and, um, successful in high school. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm really grateful for that experience. Actually, my track coaches, I still consider kind of like mentors to this day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, what, uh, influence did that I'm having on your friendships later in your life? Yeah, I think that's a great question. I think um, I learned kind of at a young age that um, you don't need to fit in with everyone, um, but you need a couple close friends. So I think that often we think of, you know, friendship or connection as being cool. Um, And I definitely wasn't cool as a kid. You know, I was very friendly. I was very social, but I definitely kind of felt left out of a lot of, you know, the cool groups in, in elementary school and even in high school. But really all, all you need is a several friends to be like, okay, you know, these are my people. You kind of just need to find, you know, I call them believers, like people that are going to be in your corner, people that are going to hold your, hold you accountable, that have your back that you want to see. Um, and it just takes a few. I think if all of us out there were instead of trying to, you know, make hundreds of connections or get all these fans or followers and we just focused on a few people in our life, um, we'd be a lot better off. You know, we're not taught that. Uh, it's kind of about more, more, more connect, connect, connect. Uh, but actually there, a lot of the research shows that you actually can't even maintain that many, uh, social relationships. Dunbar's number shows that, you know, people, you know, the average human can really only maintain social ties with 150 people and close relationships with about 10 to 15 people in their lives beyond family. Um, and yet we're living in this landscape where people have, you know, thousands and tens of thousands or millions of followers. And that's kind of supposed to be the metric that we're uh, measuring our, our social lives on, but it's actually kind of completely the opposite. It's about a couple close connections of people that are going to be there for you when you, when you're down, when you're sick, they're going to help you get a job. If you lose your job, they're going to help you grow your business that are going to actually really go to bat for you. Yeah. I mean, I think that you bring up something that's really interesting and that you know, you're searching for this sense of belonging, particularly at a time when you are incredibly insecure. I mean, much like yourself, I was far from cool in high school. I was a band geek to add a layer on top of that. You know, I moved right after my freshman year, which makes it even harder to make friends. I remember asking Lydia Denworth about this. I said, what impact does that end up having on your friendships? She said, oh, that absolutely is hugely influential. The fact that your parents would disrupt, you know, your high school experience. Like my sister has very close friends from high school and I have one who coincidentally is my, you know, my closest friend. Um, but we didn't become friends till 20 years after we graduated. Uh, so, you know, what I wonder is, you know, I think that there are a lot of people who go through high school you know, just feeling like they never fit in and that they're never going to find their people. And they don't in a lot of cases. I think that you're lucky to have found that. So I guess the question I would say is, you know, do you have parents who are listening to this, who have kids who feel like they're not fitting in? Um, how do you instill in a kid who's incredibly insecure and desperate to fit in the value of actually standing out? Yeah. I mean, I think first and foremost, you know, I would say just reassure them that they're not alone. Um, that it's going to be okay. It's going to get better. (laughs) And that, you know, high school and kind of adolescence, um, can kind of suck for, for most people. Um, I, I kind of always think of a lot of the people that I remember being so cool. Um, when I was a kid, the people that would kind of make fun of other people 
are not doing that interesting stuff right now. <laughs> and all of the yeah. people that they made fun of are like amazing actors or in theater or writers or creatives or have cool jobs. Like all the people that get made, made fun of for being different, for being unique, for wearing, you know, funky clothes or being themselves are actually live amazing lives now. But you know, in seventh grade, that's, those are the people that get picked on. So just the kind of yeah. sense of, Hey, it's going to get better. You're not, you're, you know, um, but to be yourself, um, I think is so important right now. We're seeing kind of skyrocketing rates of, of teen anxiety, teen depression, even teen suicide, which is, is really alarming. You know, the teenage suicide rate is, I, I think, tripled between 2007 and 2017. Um, wow. And a lot of that has to do with um, bullying and, and social media pressure and kind of uh, young people really feeling left out and feeling like they don't have someone to turn to or a place to turn to. And I, I think, um, I think the pressures on young people are even more alarming now than they were for you or I growing up, um, yeah. because of social media. I mean, I'm so glad that we didn't have that, you know, it's hard enough oh, yeah. to kind of make friends and just kind of, you know, get invited to, to hang out with people. And then in back in the day, and now it's like all these apps and everyone's DMing each other and Snapchat and TikTok and Instagram. And I, I don't even know how young people do it. Yeah. So I, I'm curious for you personally, what is one of the experiences that you remember from adolescence, uh, particularly when it came to social groups that made you feel the most insecure? Oh, that's a great question. Um, I kind of, I, I remember in high school, um, getting made fun of for doing the work. For, for <laughs> you know, like you didn't, it'd be like people would come and be like, you didn't do the reading, did you? I'd be like, yeah, I did the reading. We're reading Invisible Man by Ralph Ellison. It's a dope book. Like you should fucking read it. You know, like what are you doing? Like read the book. It's one of the best books ever written. And it's like, we'll make you understand the world we live in today more. And, but I've kind of felt this pressure to be like, no, I didn't do, you know, like, oh yeah, I didn't do it. No, I didn't do the, pay. that's this kind of like, attitude around not taking academics seriously. Uh, I, I remember that kind mm -hmm. of from, from a pretty early age, a lot of pressure on like, you know, you didn't do it. Like, did you, did, you know, did, did you do the essay? Did you do the work or like, can I, that kind of thing. So, um, and then it was actually only college into college. I went to Wesleyan university, which is a, a really great liberal arts school where I kind of met other people. I realized that it was cool to be smart. <laughs> like I could actually yeah. like, like it was cool. It's like, Oh, your paper's awesome. Like I want to study Like, let's go to the library together. Like, you know, and that, and that, uh, girls would talk to me and be more interested in me because I was smarter because I did the reading. I was like, this is amazing. Life is so cool. Like I can be myself and actually like shine. But I didn't feel that way often. Um, growing up, I kind of felt like, Oh, you know, there were a few people that, you know, were always doing the work and getting the grades, but they were kind of made fun of. And that was kind of the norm was to kind of diss school and, and not be into school. But I really love school. <laughs> um, yeah. So, you know, I, I kind of I remember that. But again, a lot of those people that were uh, the people getting made fun of for doing the work are now doing really interesting things and are really smart yeah. and, and kind of have found their way. So again, to, to all the young people out there and the parents listening, uh, will, encourage that, you know, like just be like, yeah, find the other people that are, you know, you can all, I, I think that this is, this holds true no matter what generation you're going to, you're not alone. There's someone out there that is feeling the same way about, uh, about this as you find them, right. Or has similar interests or is going through similar things. Like, it may be two of you or three of you in, in, in the crew, but that's enough. Yeah. It's funny. Cause I don't think I ever felt insecure about, um, you know, doing work or being smart, but I mean, you, you grew up as an Indian immigrant in a small Texas town. There's plenty to be insecure about, you know, when my parents couldn't afford nice clothes or shoes, when everybody starts buying like air Jordans and stuff like that. I, uh, I mean, we had rich kids at our school who literally would use baby Jordans as keychains. It was ridiculous. Uh, wow, and I I still remember like you know I I would feel incredibly insecure about the way that I was dressed uh, because my clothes weren't as nice as everybody else's. Yeah, I kind of I mean I I remember I remember that there were a couple of us that would there were a couple of kids I had a couple of friends that we would just kind of wear similar clothes. I think I just remember wearing similar clothes to a couple of friends throughout the years. I mean I definitely was 
more dorky, but I remember having like a, you know, Rage Against the Machine Nirvana phase. I, there's a class photo of me from, I think it's from seventh or eighth grade where like everyone's in kind of, you know, uh, like wearing clothes that would be appropriate for a class photo. And I'm wearing like a Rage Against the Machine t-shirt and um, Sambas um, and soccer shorts. And I'm just like, well, well, that's the style I guess I was going with. I'm not sure it was cool <laughs> or what it was, but I was doing my thing. Um, and there were a couple other kids in the photo that were my friends that were also like, clearly didn't seem, didn't seem to belong or didn't, you know, weren't, weren't dressed like the others. And I'm like, yeah, those are my friends. (laughs) Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some States. United healthcare, short-term insurance plans underwritten by golden rule insurance company offer flexible budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from noom like evan who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds salads generally for most people are the easy button right for me that wasn't an option i never really was a salad guy that's just not who i am but noom worked for me get your personalized plan today at noom.com real noom user compensated to provide their story in four weeks, the typical new user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over seventy percent of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. As creators, we're always on the move. Whether it's a live podcast event, a pop-up shop, or a workshop, we're constantly interacting with community. And that's where Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe comes in. Imagine this. You're at a live event, a listener loves your merch, or a participant wants to sign up for your course on the spot. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, you can accept their payments right there and then, right from your iPhone so there's no extra hardware or no delays. Total game changer. It's not just for creators. Any business owner can do this. It's about making transactions smoother and much more personal, growing your business in your way. We've been using Stripe for our products and courses for a long time, and now with Tap to Pay on iPhone, you can take your business to the next level too. So visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone to learn more. Remember, folks, with Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, your business is always at your fingertips. Well, it's funny because I, I always kind of jokingly say it's like all those of us who did anything on the Internet that has gained any level of significance. We're all just dorks in high school. And this is our way of compensating for <laughs> yes. it. Yes. Well said. Uh, well, so you get to college um, and you start to find your friends. And this is, you know, out of personal curiosity, because even in college, I think I never found that sort of sense of, uh, uh, you know, authenticity or the ability to, you know, just be unapologetically myself uh, and try to fit in. And and I realize now I I missed out because of that on so many different things. Um, What do you think it is that causes some people to discover that in college versus other people not to? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a journey. I think that, you know, I don't think it happens right away. Now, I think that I found my closest friends in college kind of towards the end, you know, as school went on. Um, I also had the experience of not having uh, a cell phone for the beginning of of school. We, I think cell phones kind of, I, I, I was a freshman in 2001 and graduated college in 2005. 
Um, mm-hmm. Cell phones were kind of pop, became kind of ubiquitous, maybe junior, senior year. So there was yeah. a real presence uh, of, of kind of how I, which I think is, um, which I think was really powerful of just kind of how you, you know, college for me was really transformational of just kind of being around people and, you know, your existence is just to kind of hang out, listen to music, you know, read, talk about, talk about the world and just chill. And there was just yeah. a lot of time to just to know people. And I'm just really grateful for that of, you know, this sense that kind of your whole existence was to just be with people, which totally. actually after that, you have very little of that. Or you have to be really intentional about that as an adult because totally. it becomes a lot harder to do that, especially as people get older or move away, have children. Yeah. Um, but I think that, you know, for me, my friendships kind of were born out of that. Let's just mm-hmm. kick it. And the people that I just wanted to kick it with or just talk to forever became my closest friends. Um, the people yeah. that I could kind of waste time with, so to speak. Yeah. Well, it's funny you, you use the words waste time in particular, because I, I remember telling, you know, one of my friends, I said, you know, like, you remember when you're in the dorms, uh, you'd sit in these like lounges and you'd talk and you'd start talking at 10 o'clock. And before you know it, it's three in the morning. And yes. that's so rare these days, you know, because after I, I started you know, finished reading your book, I, I started just writing, you know, out this, you know, post titled, you know, the uh, the lost art of long, slow dinners. And I distinctly remember I lived in Brazil in 2008. And this is right after the iPhone had come out and smartphones weren't ubiquitous, you know, like they are today. And especially in Brazil, they weren't ubiquitous. And one of my friends said, do you think like we would have had any of the mishaps and adventures that we did, you know, in Sao Paulo, because Sao Paulo is a crazy shit show of a city to live in. And he said, imagine if you'd had a cell phone, think about all the crazy stories we wouldn't have. But I still distinctly remember I had a friend from Columbia and she and I would sit outside a cafe. We'd start dinner at six and we would just sit there for four and a half hours. And I can't remember the last time I've ever done that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's friendship right there. When you lose track of time. I I have a little chapter in the book about, you know, um, the power of travel. I think, you know, what, one of the reasons why people, you know, speak so fondly of travel and make new friends when they're traveling is because usually beyond kind of maybe taking photos of, of, of cool places, they probably are not on their phone as much as they would be when they're home. Right. Mm -hmm. They're just kind of get caught up in that, you know, being, being and, and, and just letting the, the spontaneity you know, that comes with that, that experience. Um, and you know, that's one of the things I'm so grateful for of college, you know, people talk all the time, Oh, we don't need higher education. What a waste to spend, you know, $50,000 a year for four years, go into debt and graduate and not even be qualified for a job. And I kind of think I kind of agree with that general sentiment, like, especially for people today, it's like you graduate from a school, even a good school, you're not necessarily qualified for the job market. You should take that money invested in yourself or, and build a company or, you know, or just buy a house and build your career from there. And there is something special. Um, and I think it's still special today for, for most, you know, going to call for most people going to college where you have those experiences of hours and and nights and weeks where you're just having those conversations as you were saying till three in the morning having those slow mm-hmm. dinner parties because that kind of teaches you about the world it, it teaches yeah. you about who you are you find yourself you find your voice you you learn how to, to 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 debate to to disagree but disagree productively to kind of say oh i didn't see it like that or i don't think we should do that on campus or you know that's not how i see this you know um you know, major social issue that's happening in the world. Like, you know, I agree with that, but not with that. Um, have you read this? What about this? And that's kind of, you know, that's what being an adult really is, is that kind of experience of, of, of conversation, of connection, um, and, and learning and growth that we don't really get once we, you know, we don't, we usually don't have the tools for, for facilitating that um, after college, you would have to go, I think, to kind of a retreat or a workshop, um, mm-hmm. or really build it into your life. You know, I think like, you know, only a certain, um, number of people are able to do that both logistically. And, um, it's just really hard to build that into, you know, kind of your adult life once you leave school. So one of the advent, yeah. you know, one of the, one of the beauties of that, of that experience is, is that's just very available to you. It's very present. It's very kind of, 
you know, in the dorms, on campus, in the library, in class, like that's your, your point of your existence is to have conversations. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I've always said that if I, I were to go back to college, I would approach my social life like Van Wilder because that seems, <laughs> yeah. you know, I mean, that, to me, that's the, the ultimate, you know, sort of if it's like you want an amazing social life, watch that movie and just follow that plan to the letter. Um, I always jokingly said if I had been smart, I would have joined every ethnic club because then I wouldn't have been limited to just Indian women. I would have met the Filipino girls like, you know, my friends like you're an idiot. Like that's your motivation. I was like, well, I mean, in college, everybody is, you know, open. It's like a breeding ground for making friends. But I think that at that age, we're not you know, self-aware enough to realize that, wait a minute, if I'm completely open-minded and willing to talk to anybody, I could have this just really abundant social life. Yeah. And that maybe, I mean, I look back and what I remember from college and what I take away is the relationships, is social relationships, Mm -hmm. right? I mean, I learned a lot. It's a good school. You know, I'm not doing anything related to my film, my, my major. I was a film studies major. I learned a lot. Wesleyan has a great film program and I took some great classes, but I don't remember you know, the reading or the papers I wrote, I remember the people I met and the experiences yeah. we had together. And I actually mm-hmm. think that, um, I'm not saying that it's worth the cost <laughs> now that colleges are paying. Um, but I think that that's really, I, you know, I think we should kind of have that experience of like in depth, um, learning growth conversation every 10 years of our life. You know, we should kind of go away for six months, <laughs> you know, to get to, to kind of reemerge into that space but not just when we're 18 or 20. I think that happens a little bit early for people, you know, they're not quite ready for it, but I I would love to, I would have loved to have done that, you know, near the age of 30, because that's when I had Mm -hmm. a whole other transformation and a kind of quarter life crisis, you know, third life crisis, understanding of who I was and what I wanted to do with my life. Um, And I kind of needed that experience again, you know, but I was like, oh, I already went to college. I'm supposed to know what I'm supposed to do with my life. But that's not at all how it works. Yeah, I, I, I've i always thought it was strange that, you know, you're making decisions about what your entire life is supposed to look like when you've only lived a fraction of it. And to me, that's, that's kind of a fatal flaw in the way we think about this. But uh, speaking of, of sort of, you know, quarter life crisis, which we talked about last, I mean, what has been the trajectory of your career that has led you to, you know, where you're at today? Yeah. So, right. So my first book, um, that I wrote, um, nearing the age of 30 was, was called the quarter life breakthrough. It was really thinking about, um, my search for meaningful work and millennials and young people trying to find, uh, careers with purpose. So trying to make a living doing something that they loved or something that they cared about or something that was impactful, making money while also doing good. Um, and I, and I wrote about that experience and I self-published a book uh, that sold 10,000 copies and then led to a book deal and, and to a speaking career is, which is kind of how I, uh, my, my main business, I speak at companies around kind of engaging millennials in the workplace. And through that experience kind of found that actually, uh, both for millennials and Gen Z, um, and just frankly, employees in general, one of the biggest, um, conflicts and, and, and crises that is emerging is the loneliness epidemic. Um, is people finding this disconnection, not just when they're a young person growing up or in, you know, in elementary school or high school or college, but in adulthood. Um, and started writing a little bit about my own experience with loneliness. Um, as someone who's, you know, a pretty extroverted person, <laughs> you know, my nickname is Smiley. I obviously love people. I'm very socially engaged. At least when there's not a pandemic, I'm, my job is literally to meet people. I go around to companies and conferences. To meet people, that's what I do for a living. And yet I was still feeling very lonely, right? And I'm like, if I'm feeling lonely as Smiley, (laughs) as someone who meets people as a job, which is a pretty cool job, then other people probably are too. And you start to look at the data and you're like, oh, yes, I'm not alone, right? Nearly two thirds of Americans are lonely. 70% of millennials, 80% of Gen Z. The average American hasn't made a new friend in the last five years. Many people have zero friends at work, zero. And we only spend 4% of our time with our friends. And I'm like, this is a problem, right? This is, this is not good. And this is all data from before COVID, from a, before mm-hmm. a year of social isolation. Um, so I started writing about it. And I started kind of writing about my own experience uh, with loneliness as kind of an extroverted uh, person. I started writing about uh, the death of one of my best friends that kind of 
launched this new book, Friendship in the Age of Loneliness. I lost one of my best friends. Uh, he was 32 years old. He died from uh, brain cancer. And I kind of yeah. saw this book as a, as a love letter to friendship, as mm-hmm. kind of getting back to basics. What would it be like if we just celebrated those friendships? Not necessarily, you know, networking and that kind of thing, but actually just building deep, meaningful relationships uh, with people in our lives. And that, that maybe there is some power in that. There's some magic in um, not necessarily, you know, my first book was kind of about career success or purpose and life. And I kind of realized, oh, wait a second, maybe it's, there's something a little bit more simple here, right? There's something a little bit more um, pure in this search for meaning. Maybe it's less about the ex, you know, the kind of accomplishments or what we would put on LinkedIn or, you know, that type of thing and more about the people in our lives. And a lot of the data actually shows that, you know, there's, there was this landmark study that Harvard did. Uh, tracking Harvard sophomores starting in 1938 that found um, that social relationships really are the key to a healthy and happy life. So the people that have the healthiest relationships and friendships at the age of 50 are most likely to be the healthiest and happiest at the age of 80. It has nothing to do with their wealth or their success or their influence or you know what they ended up doing with their lives and has everything to do with who is in their life and do they care about those people? And do those people care about them? Which I think is yeah. just so simple, yet not something that I don't think most of us on a day-to-day basis um, live by. Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, I knew you wrote about, uh, you know, Levi, uh, who, the friend that you're referring to extensively in the book, because it was funny, my roommate was asking me about some of the work that he's doing around sort of, you know, disconnecting the internet. I was, I told him, I was like, go look up Levi Felix. And like, he's the guy who pretty much, you know, created this movement. But um, I'm curious, like, you know, when you lose a friend, particularly at a young age, and particularly a friend who's so young, uh, how does that change your own perspective about what matters to you? Yeah, so Levi, um, losing Levi, I think was, for, was for me, a, you know, a pretty big wake up call. I think, you know, I, I lost my um, grandparents, I was very close with my, my grandmother, specifically, uh, my dad's mom, because um, I used to live in New York, and, and she lived in Manhattan, I was in Brooklyn, and I would see her every week. And, you know, there's something really hard about losing someone who's an elder or someone that's in your family. Um, losing a friend who, you know, all of a sudden, you know, is health, some, a friend who you're, you're, you're going on adventures with, we go to Burning Man, we're running Camp Grounded, which is a tech free digital detox summer camp for adults. Um, someone who's kind of just living the peak, peak experience life that a 30 something is living, uh, in the Bay Area. And then all of a sudden, um, they get diagnosed with brain cancer and die a year later. Um, I think really makes you realize how precious life is. I think it makes you um, realize what really matters, um, which is those moments of uh, disconnection, you know, where the phone's not on, (laughs) where you're not looking at a screen, where you're just with your friend, you're having that dinner, you're having a glass of wine, um, you're playing a game, you're taking a walk in the woods, you're you know, traveling, you're on an adventure, you're just with people. Um, it kind of makes you celebrate that. At least for me, it kind of made me realize that a lot of the things that I normally spend my time focused on, which are um, a little bit more about, you know, career or success or trying to make money, um, in the end, don't necessarily matter as much. And, and what really does matter is those moments, those kind of magical moments you know, it's like okay. the kind of suns, the sunset moments, you know, the moments where you're kind of like, oh my gosh, you know, like life, <laughs> beauty, mm-hmm. nature, magic, um, losing track of time, forgetting that time even exists, forgetting that you even have a phone, those types of things, um, that that's what life is all about. That's what Levi taught me. That's what I was kind of trying to capture in this book and the kind of the essence of what it's like to lose a friend is to kind of remember maybe there's a positive there and remembering to live by um live by those moments a little bit more put those a little bit more at the center of our lives um Mm -hmm. and and i think that that's that's hard to do i'm not saying it's easy but i think it's really um it's really important i think it also made me realize the importance of ritual right where you know i think it's so easy you just don't know how much time people are going to have left 
right? And you don't know how much time you have left. And I think we saw that in the last year at the pandemic of just being a little bit more appreciative and grateful for the people around us because we can't get to see them, right? Especially for people who, who, whose parents or, 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 or family members or friends got sick and they couldn't even visit them, right? This sense of like, oh my God, that last time we hung out, I didn't know that was going to be the last time we were hanging out. Maybe next time I see them, I'm going to really give them a big hug, <laughs> right? Or I'm going to bring them a gift that I know they're going to love. Or I'm going to make them a playlist that's like their favorite playlist. Or we're going to do something really special, not just go to the random coffee shop we always go to. We're going to like plan a whole day adventure. Just kind of yeah. cherishing that a little bit. Um, that That's what I take away a little bit from from that loss. Mm. Well, let, let's get into the the concepts in the book. Um, I, I think to me, and part of why so many of the ideas resonated with me is because when you're in adult life, it's hard to make new friends. I mean, I lived in San Diego for three years, and part of the reason I left was because I had such a hard time making friends. And then I ended up moving to Boulder with you know my now roommate Matt. And you know, it's funny. Despite eighteen months of being socially isolated, I told my sister, "I'm like, this is the happiest I've ever been," and I realized why. It's because I have two amazing friends who I live with, and that's made a world of difference. But in adult life, that's not easy to do. Um, so let's let's start with this whole idea of you know being more playful, because you say the road to loneliness is paved with comparison, and the road to connection is paved with play. So you know, what does that look like in practice? Because I think that we undervalue that so much because we're so damn busy, like optimizing our productivity and, you know, trying to do, you know, anything we can to accomplish some other thing that we can brag about online. Right. I mean, I think for me, when I think of play, I think of um, kind of throwing the rule book out the window. You kind of think of, you know, being a kid, you know, your whole, the whole point of your existence is to make friends right? It's like, okay, it's go, it's recess, go make friends. You know, you're in school. It's like, did you make a friend today? Like, did, who did you meet today? What did you do? And, and as adult, that's not at all the expectation. <laughs> like no one asks that. Did you make a friend today? So I think when I think of kind of be more playful as a precursor to making friends, it's trying new things. It's being curious. It's going up to people. And I know not everyone's going to go up to strangers. Like that's hard to do, especially, especially, or at least it was when people were all wearing masks and, you know, you couldn't even see people's faces, but it's having a little bit more of an attitude of, you know what? I'm going for it. I'm, I'm going outside my comfort zone. I'm going to be curious, right? I'm, I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to, you know, have my eyes open when I go in to order a cup of coffee rather than my head buried in a phone. If I go to a dinner party, I'm not just going to talk to the one person I know, but I'm going to say, oh, hey, you know, what's your story, right? Maybe I'm going to ask a little bit deeper questions than where, what do you do? Where do you live, right? Maybe I'll ask like, you know, what's something exciting that you're working on right now? Uh, what's the last mm -hmm. album that you listened to? Um, what's a dream you have right now for a creative project, right? Just thinking a little bit deeper about kind of how you can bring a little bit more play into your life. I mean, that was one of the beautiful things about Levi Felix and, and, and he had started this whole movement around digital detox and, um, you know, trading screen time for kind of playful time and, and camp grounded was all about the power of play. You actually at camp were not allowed to ha talk about work. So you mm -hmm. could have no, du no W talk, which, um, is actually pretty simple, re uh, kind of, reframe for people to kind of make their conversations much more about who they really were. I think when, you know, work, I, I love my work, so I, I enjoy talking about it. But I actually think that if you have that container of not talking about work, it allows you to kind of get into a little bit more about that, that playful childlike kind of sense of wonder, sense of awe, sense of what's possible. Who are you really like, who are you, you know, when you're just home, uh, and music's playing and you have nothing to do and you're just kind of being silly, right? Or who are you when you were a kid or who do you want to be that you're not really showing right now? Kind of like more vulnerable, um, more courageous. Um, I, I think that, um, play kind of makes us, helps us meet new people because we're not so kind of, um, trapped by the rules of kind of saying, oh, that's not someone I would spend time with. Right. Mm -hmm. oh, that they're not my type kind of in dating. It's like, oh, they're not my type. Yeah. Well, actually, you haven't even met them yet. How do you know? Not mm -hmm. all people that, you know, look a certain way or from a certain background are going to be like everyone else from that background. Right. 
have you, can you give them a, can you, can you give them a chance? Can you at least have a conversation with them? Can you introduce yourself? God forbid. Right. So just kind of having that attitude. Uh, and I, you know, I, I think, yeah, go ahead. Well, the reason I laughed is because like I have this joke of like I don't date women who own small dogs because the three or so that I've met are all been have all been in a pain in the ass. So my friend's like, okay, so you're making a universal conclusion based on three data points, and you know it, that's exactly. like the ongoing joke. And I'm like, all right, but I'm sure I can find evidence to the contrary. I've just never have, you know. Right, like there are people out there that have small dogs that are awesome. Yeah. Oh, I have no doubts. <laughs> uh, so one of the things, there are two things that I really loved that you said uh, in this section on being playful. You said affirmation is largely undervalued in our society. We're so used to hearing what we're not good at, the simple act of telling someone they can be themselves, that they're already doing a great job, that they're okay exactly the way they are is incredibly powerful. And it's kind of funny, you're right, we do undervalue that. And how often do we tell people that? I don't really think about that. I mean, you know, of course, like, you know, my pump my roommates up when they need it and vice versa. Uh so one, why don't we do that and how do you do it? Yeah. I mean, I think that we, we live in a society that's really kind of about achievement and is about kind of being an expert, you know, and there are some, some places for that, right? Like I wouldn't want someone, you know, I don't want a, a pilot who is, is flying my plane that, you know, it's like, I'm just going to give this a shot. All right. I'm like, wait, not, not on my flight. You're not, you know, like, have, you know, we want an expert, but I think, you know, we need more, you know, kind of like my, the type of person, like my track coaches in, in high school to go back to that and more people kind of like the, the kind of teachers count camp counselors, mentors, the types of people that are like, you got this, you're doing a great job, um, nudging us along. We don't have those voices. And I think that that actually plays a big role in kind of why it becomes very hard to meet people as we get older, because there's no one kind of saying, go for it, meet this person, you're doing a good job, you know, put yourself out, out of your comfort zone. You you know, you, you went for today, you know, you, you went on a date with someone with a small dog, didn't work out, but hey, good for you. <laughs> You're putting yourself outside <laughs> your comfort zone. But if it's it's kind of funny. It's like we don't have the like, if we all if I think if everyone had those types of people in their life, uh, we'd be in better shape. We, you know, the kind of the the person, the people that are kind of our cheerleaders. We don't have cheerleaders, and and what is a friend if not a cheerleader, right? Yeah. Um, well, you know, and, and and even mentors. You know, I, I like to think of it kind of more as friend tours. Like a mentor is okay this person's giving me career advice, but a friend tour is like, this person is giving me career advice, but they also care about me as a person. They are also mm-hmm. going to be there. If I make a mistake, they're also going to be there. If I, you know, kind of fail or, or I'm not, you know, it doesn't go well. And I, I think that's what everyone's really looking for. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. 
For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. As creators, we're always on the move. Whether it's a live podcast event, a pop-up shop, or a workshop, we're constantly interacting with community, and that's where Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe comes in. Imagine this. You're at a live event, a listener loves your merch, or a participant wants to sign up for your course on the spot. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, you can accept their payments right there and then, right from your iPhone so there's no extra hardware or no delays. Total game changer. It's not just for creators. Any business owner can do this. It's about making transactions smoother and much more personal, growing your business in your way. We've been using Stripe for our products and courses for a long time. And now with Tap to Pay on iPhone, you can take your business to the next level too. So visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone to learn more. Remember folks, with Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, your business is always at your fingertips. Yeah, yeah it's funny because uh, there's certain food from South India that I absolutely hate. My mom's like, watch, you're going to marry a woman who ends up being an expert at making that and at the rate this is going i'm probably gonna end up with a woman with a small dog after all the things that i've said about <laughs> it uh one other thing that i really liked and it's funny because this is actually common among indian people you talk about giving gifts and you say contrary to what a gift shop might have you believe you don't need a reason to give somebody a present it doesn't need to be somebody's birthday or father's day or wedding to give someone something and i remember i saw my best friend after 18 months for the first time about a week and a half ago and he had a baby i think uh sometime last year and she was a year and a half this is the first time i seen her and we called my dad while i was with him and he's like you didn't take a gift i was like dad trust me i had intended to take a gift we didn't have time he's like you're always supposed to take a gift when there's a baby <laughs> <laughs> like uh right yeah i mean talk, talk to me about this i mean because to me that was just sort of like oh yeah this is what we do um but i don't think it's that common yeah i mean i think that you know I think there's such a power in giving gifts for no reason. I mean, I think it's great when you're doing kind of like, okay, just had a baby, a wedding, a birthday. But if you just show up and be like, hey, I'm giving you this gift because I appreciate your friendship. Or I saw this uh, t-shirt and it made me think of you because we went to that show together. Or like, I know this is your favorite chocolate bar, kombucha or ice cream or whatever. And you just grab it for someone. I don't know. I think those little tokens uh, of appreciation and gratitude are so much more important than, Hey, I bought you this fancy $200 thing, right? What are you going to remember more? Like, Hey, I bought you this fancy thing or like, Oh my gosh, it's my favorite, like my favorite food from our favorite place from when we got that, that night, we stayed up all night back in, you know, 2012 hanging out. Like you remembered that, right? Which is more meaningful, probably the smaller gift that just you got for no reason. Um, again, this is not kind of how society is built. It's kind of we're built to just, oh, buy gifts for the very important milestones. Um, but I think, you know, showing more gratitude, showing more appreciation is kind of the the currency for a better world. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I think of Burning Man has this whole thing around decommodification. Um, and this kind of a city that runs on gift giving and whether you hate Burning Man or not doesn't matter. I think it's a, it's a pretty powerful kind of sense that, you know, the whole people show up to Burning Man, just I'm, they're going to give gifts to strangers, whatever it is. It might be something food, food related. It might be a bracelet. It might be a love letter. It might be, you know, a, a crystal, whatever it is. Um, you have the city of, you know, 70,000 people going around giving gifts to each other. You know, what if, what if the world was more like that? What if you kind of couldn't leave your house without being like, you have to give out five gifts today. Um, you can't go into a Starbucks without giving something to at least one person at the Starbucks. I don't know. I think we'd build probably a little bit more of a compassionate, thoughtful society um, just from yeah. simple tokens of appreciation. So again, it's like mm -hmm. playing with the rules a little bit. It's being a little bit more playful, being a little bit more silly, um, being a little bit more thoughtful. And also, you know, your, your dad was saying, you didn't bring a gift. It's like, it's not too late. And also maybe the gift yeah. next time you see them is going to be more powerful. It's like, oh, no one's given us a gift in a year. Like you're the first person to give us a gift since the 
baby shower, like since, you know, the baby was born. Thank you. Like, wow. Amazing. You know, so it doesn't have mm-hmm. to be like, oh, I missed, I, I do this sometimes where I'm like, oh, I missed the wedding. Like, that's it. It's like, who cares? You know, like you didn't get a gift from the wedding. Like no one remembers. Like, it's not like they have a spreadsheet that they're like, this person's, this person's done to me. <laughs> like, you know, they got me a crappy wedding gift or forgot a gift at all. It's more just moving forward. You know, when you, when you think of someone, let them know. I think that's the other thing with gifting mm-hmm. is it's when you think of someone, let them know. Often we think of people mm-hmm. and we're just like, oh, cool. You know, I'm thinking of them right now, but we don't tell them, <laughs> right? Yeah. We don't acknowledge it from a note, a letter, uh, a video message, buying us a, a, a small gift. And we lose that moment of kind of saying, hey, like, you know, I was thinking of you. Like I, I have just, you know, in the, in the ritual section of the book, just talk about my friend Jillian, who sends out notes of being awesome. If someone comes into, um, if she thinks of someone, if someone kind of comes up in her brain or, or she's thinking of them throughout the course of her day, she sends them a note of, you know, why she was thinking of them and why, and, and all the ways that they're awesome just in that moment. And it's so mm-hmm. simple yet. She says that people are like, Oh my gosh, you caught me in like a moment where I was crying or I've been super depressed recently or, or, you know, or I really needed to hear this today. It's kind mm-hmm. of amazing when we actually let people know that stuff because, you know, they're, they're not, it, it can be, it can be a big difference for them. Yeah. Well, you know, you talk in the section on being a better friend about the destigmatizing mental health, which I really appreciated. And you say that therapy has taught me the value of present and active listening, an important tool for being a good friend. During my first session with my therapist, I thought to myself, all this guy does is just sit there and listen to me. What the hell am I paying for? By our fourth session, I finally got it. I was like, oh, all this guy does is just sit there and listen to me. That's inimitable. Um, and so I think that, you know, I want to, I'm really glad you wrote about this because I grew up in a culture where mental health was incredibly stigmatized, you know, I, mm. it, as people have probably heard before. I mean, I was 36 the first time I saw a therapist and I wondered, you know, after a few sessions, what the hell took me so long to get here? Uh, how do we get to that point where we start destigmatizing this? Because I think it is starting to become more and more destigmatized, but there's also, you know, a discomfort to talking about this. Yeah. I mean, I think that hopefully one of the silver linings of the past year and the pandemic will be kind of the conversation around, around mental health has shifted and kind of saying, oh, everyone is dealing with this, right? <laughs> you know, there was data that came out uh, last summer that, you know, showing that a third of Americans were experiencing signs of clinical anxiety or depression. Um, a third of Americans is a lot of people, <laughs> um, over a hundred million people. So kind of saying, it, you know, I think it used to be the, the, the kind of theory was, oh, therapy is reserved for, you know, the ultra unwell, you know, people going through serious mental health challenges, or maybe the ultra wealthy people that are just, that are just like, oh, I have a therapist, you know, like everyone in my family has a therapist, you know, whatever money, just, we spend money. And now it's kind of like everyone needs a therapist. How can we make those services more affordable, accessible? You know, everyone deserves this. Everyone needs this. Mm-hmm. The world, life is really hard. Um, so I'm hoping that that kind of conversation has shifted. I think you're seeing a lot of companies now. I do a lot of workplace stuff kind of realizing that either they need to have a therapist kind of um, available to all of their employees or kind of provide that benefit just because, you know, if they're not taking care of their people and their people don't feel well, uh, and are having these mental health challenges, like how the hell are they supposed to do a good job at work? And that it's like actually in the interest of the company for people to be sleeping well, to, 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 to feel healthy, uh, to feel emotionally fit, right? That's not just something that, you know, your emotional problems don't leave you from 8am to 6pm. <laughs> they're with you the whole time. So if they're, yeah. if they're keeping you from doing work, then they're actually keeping you from being a good employee. Um, mm. So I think that conversation is shifting, but I also think that it's up to us to kind of normalize talking about these things a little bit. One of the intentions of my book was to a little bit normalize the sense of being alone, normalize that, hey, you know, healthy, happy, quote unquote, successful people that, you know, have a personal brand or, you know, write books or speakers or have quote unquote, cool social lives are also experiencing loneliness also sometimes feel a lot of anxiety and also need to see a therapist, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Just kind of saying, hey, this is not something that is only affecting people that, you know, 
or have quote unquote serious mental health challenges that we all are experiencing this stuff. And that the, it's mm-hmm. kind of, you know, I, I quote, uh, my friend, um, Emily Onhall in the book, who's uh, a therapist and, um, started this kind of, uh, this company called COA, which is trying to kind of be a, a gym for mental fitness, kind of like one medical group, but for mental health and kind of saying that it's like therapy is something you do proactively, um, to, to promote, to promote wellness. It's not just like going to the doctor when you're sick. It's like going to the gym, right? It's like, you don't go to the gym, you know, when your body is falling apart, you go to the gym to make sure your body doesn't fall apart in the first place. Right. So you do all those five, four or five days of reps so that, you know, one day you're not going to, um, be unwell. And that's kind of how we should think about therapy that it's like, you're not doing it just when things are going bad and, oh my gosh, you, everything's falling apart. You do it on those weeks when you feel pretty good to give you the tools so that when things fall apart, you're in better shape or to have things keep going well, right. Or to understand that things can go up and down and that's part of life. And it gives you the tools to navigate all of that. Um, also I think that, you know, one of the things that I've learned most from therapy is that, you know, it's your relationship to yourself affects your relationships with everyone else. And it's really hard to show up for the people in your life, whether they're your friends, your family, your partner, um, spouse, children, uh, if you can't show up for yourself or if you're not, you know, um, believing in yourself, if you don't have a sense of, uh, of that kind of self-worth self-love um it's really hard to show up for other people and that maybe therapy's best offering is for us to kind of just have those conversations with with our own selves and kind of get to Mm -hmm. a better place with ourselves yeah um yeah the there are a couple other things in in the interest of time i I don't think we'll get to all of them but there's one that caught my attention you said on the west coast if you want to hang out with someone you'll likely have no idea whether they actually want to hang out with you or they're just saying they want to hang out with you because they can't <laughs> commit to a specific time to see you and you'll bump into each other for six months without ever actually making a formal plan to hang out. It's actually one of the reasons I wanted to get the hell out of California um, because I saw that over and over and over and it just baffled me that we are that flaky. Uh, how in the world do people stop being that damn flaky? And why are that that, that way to begin with? Yeah. I mean, the Bay Area is really bad on this. <laughs> you know, that's why I wrote this. I mean, I've, there's so many people where, yeah, I've had this conversation where it's like, let's, I'm like, cool. Like, let's, you know, I grew up on the East Coast. I, you know, my, my family's from New York, but I grew up in, in Boston. Um, and it's kind of like the East Coast way is like, cool, Saturday, you know, two o'clock, like bus, you know, like, let's just go for it. Like, what, what's your, what are you doing on Saturday? You just go. For, that's the first thing you say. The West Coast, it's like, Oh, well, you know, maybe in a couple of weeks, like, I'm not really sure. Like, I might be out of town. Like, let's just, let's just stay in touch. It's like, okay, you said that last time. Like, we're not like, what do you, do you actually want to hang out? Um, so I think, you know, just being real about your needs is, is important. That's like the, the, the kind of needs and boundaries is the kind of takeaway that I have from this experience is like, if you don't want to spend time with someone, just articulate that. I mean, not like, oh, I hate you, you suck. It's more like, hey, right now, I don't have a lot of space. I'm working on this, this project. I'll reach out back out to you in August, right? Yeah. Or, hey, you know, I've noticed that the last couple of times we've um, bumped into each other, you know, we haven't made a plan. You know, if you really want to hang out, text me and let me know. Just kind of articulating mm-hmm. that. So a little bit more honest, open communication, I think is okay. I don't think that's hurtful. Um, you know, but I also think that there are just going to be flaky people and you kind of have to make the determination, like how many of those people do you want in your life? Like, are are they adding value to you or not? (laughs) And if they aren't, then, then maybe there's other people in your life that you want to prioritize more. And if you do want to spend time with them, kind of call it out a little bit. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, flaky people are my, probably my biggest pet peeve. Uh, there's a couple of last things I want to talk about here. Uh, and this is probably one of my favorites. You said plan a sleepover. Remember how fun sleepovers were when we were a kid? You got you know all the time together to eat popcorn, debate which movie to watch, laugh out loud, and gossiping before bed and making pancakes for breakfast. We need more platonic adult sleepovers. Next time you have a deep hang, plan a sleepover with your close friends so you have much more time to play. And I, I thought it was hilarious that you specifically said platonic adult sleepovers because <laughs> in my mind, I was like, yeah, that, that, that's, it's a good thing you call that out because I think the immediate assumption is, oh, if somebody's sleeping over, then we're going to have sex. Right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, like I want yeah. to make it clear that like, <laughs> yeah, that you can have, 
sleepovers yeah with with friends that it's not about like uh, like there's the hookup or you're dating someone that's one thing and those sleepovers can be great don't get me wrong but i'm also kind of getting back to a little bit more of the like the overnight trips with friends or kind of like oh it's late you want to sleep over then we can have breakfast in the morning like that kind of playful kind of sense of losing track of time and having those deep hangs i call them deep hangs like it's a little bit different than like oh let's just get coffee or dinner it's kind of let's spend the day together right Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, let's talk about two last things. Um, one was the the friendship circle, um, where you said you know making a friend circle is a useful exercise to determine which friendships you should be investing in. So, talk to me about this whole idea of tier one, tier two, and tier three. Yeah. So, you know, there have been a lot of different people have kind of tried to end, like figure out like how do you compartmentalize friends, and I think um there's no one way to do this i think the key is actually just figuring out like who are your people um whatever definitions you want to use in terms of kind of tiers or categories um it's really up to you but i think that it's just important to get clear on kind of who are the people that you're trying to prioritize in your life i remember kind of during the pandemic this kind of shifted for me i realized like i only had energy for the closest people in my life besides family right i just simply couldn't keep track of everyone. And I actually also, you know, you were saying that, you know, the, the pandemic was, you were, you were doing really well, or, or your social, you felt pretty socially um, fulfilled, because you know, you had close friends around you. And I also kind of felt like this sense of there was a little bit of simplification of, okay, I had on a post it like, who are the people I'm really staying in touch with during this experience? And who are the people that, you know, I'm just not able to and knowing that and being okay with that was really powerful for me because I actually really d- dived really deeper with, you know, a, a group of my f- uh, closest friends. Um, we were doing a, a boys, a boys zoom call, you know, once a week, at least in the early days of the pandemic, we shifted more to like once a month, but I got to talk to those people so much more than I had, you know, usually I only see them, you know, a batch, a bachelor party or a wedding every couple of years. And I was talking to them once a week. Because I was like, okay, these are my close friends. Um, these are the people that I'm really going to be prioritizing right now. Um, so I think that that's what I mean by this, of, of like knowing who's in your circle. So you would have yourself right. in the middle and, and maybe family or your chosen family. And you have your best friends, kind of like your ride or dies, the people that are just like, these are my, you know, my, my core people, keeping that to a small number, um, then maybe extending it out a little bit, your close friends, people that you care about. And then maybe like the outer circle being kind of your extend, extended network, you know, people you've met a couple times at an event, people that are in your life that you care about, but you know, they might not be the people that you're going to turn to um, when you really need something. Um, and that's mm-hmm. okay. Yeah. So I, I want to finish with one, you know, last component of this. Um, like I said, there's just so much in this book uh, about, you know, forming deeper and meaningful friendships that I think it'd be impossible for us to cover it in an hour. Uh, but this is something that really struck me. You said in the digital age, we don't think twice about ghosting or swiping left on a potential partner. Perhaps technology has created the illusion that the perfect friend will be right around the corner, just like the perfect Tinder date. But what if nobody's perfect? And I think, you know, I, if you're somebody who's been on the receiving end of being ghosted, you read that and you're kind of like, yeah, it just, you know, that, that stings like, you know, to have somebody disappear from your life with no explanation whatsoever is really disorienting yeah i think ghosting is never the right call i think ghosting could be the right call in an online dating context of like okay this person just (laughs) like was awful or treated me like shit and has no value for my life but i think especially for someone who you would consider a friend or who you were friends with way better to communicate you know what happened or the wrongdoing or the sense of wrongdoing if you are interested in kind of reconnecting, rebuilding, great, ex- name that. And even if you're not just saying, hey, like, I'm going to name that I need to take some space from this relationship, I think is so much more um, healthy than ghosting. Because ghosting mm-hmm. then allows the other person to be like, I can't believe, you know, you both have all these stories in your head and neither is actually what's happening. It's just what's in your head. So just naming it and and kind of deciding whether you want to actually take steps to uh, reconnect, I think, is a way healthier way of doing that. Mm. Well, um, well, I think, that, like I said, you've just packed this with so much uh, valuable insight that would be impossible to cover in an hour. So uh, 
I want to finish with my final question, which is how we finish all of our interviews, the unmistakable creative. What do you think it is that makes somebody or something unmistakable? <sighs> I would say it's um, how do you show up? How do you show up for the people in your life? How do you show up when things are hard? How do you show up when people really need you? That's what makes you unmistakable. Hmm. How do you look after your people? <clears throat> Amazing. Um, well, I can't thank you enough for taking the time to join us and share your story, uh, your wisdom, and your insights with our listeners. Where can people find out more about you, your work, uh, the book, and everything else that you're up to? Yeah, so you can find out more about me at my website, uh, smileypozwalski.com. Sign up for my newsletter. I'm on all the social channels, uh, Instagram, at What's Up Smiley. And you can find the book wherever you like to buy books. It's um, are on Amazon, Friendship in the Age of Loneliness. Awesome. And for everybody listening, we will wrap the show with that. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Unmistakable Creative Podcast. While you were listening, were there any moments you found fascinating? inspiring, instructive, maybe even heartwarming. Can you think of anyone, a friend or a family member who would appreciate this moment? If so, take a second and share today's episode with that one person because good ideas and messages are meant to be shared. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World, and this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch, the skills that are essential for standing out and thriving no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy.